you know, I'm thinking this is going to be some great big, you know, compliment. He said, do you know why I hired you? I'm thinking, no, I'd love to know why you hired me. He says, it's because you wore a belt. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 40 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you so very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Phil Kim, who's an associate professor of business at Walsh University in Canton, Ohio, and the founder of In-Depth Consulting, which is a management consulting firm for entrepreneurs and small business owners. Our discussion centers around his powerful TEDx talk he gave in Albany, New York in December of 2016. His talk is titled, Chase One Rabbit, The Power of Small Wins. I'll put a link to his TED talk in the show notes for you. Phil based his TED talk from a Confucius saying, person who chases two rabbits catches neither. In today's world, we are chasing so many things that we want to get done, and if we don't have focus, nothing gets accomplished. The need to focus on those critical things and setting them at the highest priority. Phil says that if you hit all your goals for last year, maybe your goals weren't challenging enough. What he tells his clients and students is to stretch yourself, set high goals, and then break them down into little chunks, action steps, and be accountable to someone or a group. Phil tells a great story about an app named Bourbon, which got my attention, that was developed back in 2010. Now, Bourbon was a social app designed by Kevin Systrom and his buddies, who named the app after their favorite adult beverage. Now, this app was a party app and also would allow you to give restaurant reviews and ratings. By doing this, you would earn badges. And if you accumulated enough badges, you would get discounts to those places. Now, the app really never took off because what users were doing with it was taking pictures of cats and what they were eating at restaurants. Ultimately, they took the app down and redesigned it and launched it under a new name. You may have heard of this name, Instagram. What Kevin discovered was that they were giving users too many choices and decided to reduce the number of options to picture-taking, and the rest is history. Phil refers to this as the paradox of choice. This is when you give people too many choices and they're afraid of making the wrong decision, which leads to no choices. Well, that might explain why it's been forever since I've been to a cheesecake factory. Phil has a lot of great stories in this episode, and one of my favorites is how he became a college professor. I'll leave it at that and let you listen to his story. Clearly, from an improvisational aspect, focus, being present and in the moment, is critical in accomplishing your goals, along with the yes and attitude to help you make those small wins for the bigger accomplishment. 
Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know one of my goals with this podcast is that I'll help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said it takes 21 days to start a habit, which I just recently learned from Dr. John B. Molitor, Ph.D., is incorrect. John is the Dean of Psychiatry at Michigan State University. He said that the research shows that it takes 66 days to create that habit. So now we have to put in some extra work to create that muscle memory. That's why I created the Yes and Challenge, to help keep these principles in front of you so that you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the SN Challenge Call to Action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag Yes and Challenge. If you're unaware what the Yes and Challenge is all about, I also discuss this in detail in episode zero. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you'd like to purchase an autographed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on the homepage. With that said, let's get to the interview with Phil Kim. I'm with Phil Kim, and Phil, who is a... Recovering auditor, banker, currently in higher education, but first and foremost, Phil, thank you for taking time to uh, be a guest on my podcast. Pete, I was looking forward to this. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, Phil, I'm so looking forward to this conversation because I want my audience to know, first and foremost, you recently did a TED Talk at a TEDx in Albany, and your talk was called Chase One Rabbit. The Power of Small Wins. And I started thinking about, as I listened to your TED Talk, which is absolutely fabulous, I was thinking about that thing about chasing one rabbit. And and when I think of that in my business, I think about rabbits and how they multiply. (laughs) And unfortunately, I don't think I'm chasing one. I I, I think I'm chasing a herd of them. So (laughs) when I was listening to your talk, I went, Man, I got to really narrow that down to just one rabbit. So, you know, I usually ask uh, my guests to give me a little bit about their background. But I I think our conversation about this TED Talk and about about your message here will enlighten everybody to your background. So tell us about this chasing only one rabbit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up in in, in that way. Uh, yeah, I was able to do a TED talk in December uh, in Albany, as you said. The title of the talk was "Chase One Rabbit," um, and it's it's really based off a Confucian saying, um, and it says, "If you chase both rabbits, you catch neither." So it's it was really this that that is what sort of germinated this idea. Uh, which led to a book, um, which obviously had led to this TED Talk. But the idea is is really about this power of focus and specifically focusing on small, doable action steps. And what I like to say is a series of small wins leads to great results. And, but I mean, we can delve into that a little bit more, but I think what you said was, was perfect. I think so many of us, especially entrepreneurs and 
leaders and business owners, we feel like we're, we're chasing so many things. There's so many things that we want to get done, right? And it's especially, you know, either year-end or beginning of the year or whenever, you know, your, your audience is listening to this, I think there can be this uh, almost a laundry list uh, of things that you want to get done, which, which is fun. I think we should have multiple goals. However, if we're spread so far thin, we're not going to do anything really well. And I guess that that's my main point that if in order to achieve uh, a certain level of either expertise or, or success or um, to, to accomplish something, it's worth, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And the way to do that is to really sort of let go of all the peripheral things um, and let go of all the things that, in my opinion, really don't contribute to your end goal, um, and then really focus on the things that will contribute to to where you want to go. Well, you, you said a magic word there. The, uh, the magic word in in the world of improv is focus and being completely focused on that. And and somebody who's got ADHD as myself, which is really difficult at times. The squirrels, oh, dust mites, <laughs> what's going on around me? Uh, it's and, and as you're laying this out, you know, and I was listening to it. I've got a whiteboard and I'm looking at my things that I want to get accomplished in 17 and I've got seven items on there. Now, prior, prior to listening to your Ted talk, there were no numbers beside them, like in priority. Oh, nice. Okay. Now I've got, instead of me going, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> and now I'm just hunting a wabbit at a time, which really Excellent. helped me with, to, 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 to see that. To, to try to get that in, into some type of focus because I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at that at times. I, 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 I can work on four or five projects at one time, and a lot of times I never get them done. I got, I'm about 50%, 70%, 80% through them, but sometimes I never get 100%. And I think to your point, I'm chasing too many wabbits. Yeah, that is excellent. In fact, that was that's another thing that, um, and I, I talk about this in the TED Talk, but it really takes uh, this almost intentional, I call it intentional accountability also. So first of all, I, I was just going to say, what's, what's your priority? If you were to look at the list of seven things, what would be the most important thing that you would want to get done? And then what's the next most important? So on and so forth. So obviously, I would say if you if you've hit all your goals, if you think about 2016, if you hit all your goals in 2016, first of all, kudos to you. Um, but most people don't, and I would argue if if you're a person that hit all your goals from last year, then your goals may not have been big enough. You know, it may have been just something like you know, it's one of those things where it's like uh, you know those people that you know, they have those checkoff lists and then they, they cross them off. There's some sort of satisfaction in crossing something off, you know? Um, but there are certain people that will already have done the thing, uh, say it's, you know, get eggs and milk and then, you know, call prospective client back, you know, they got the milk and the eggs and they'll write that on their list just to cross it off. So <laughs> I, I don't want to fall into that sort of, you know, almost this fake satisfaction of getting something just to cross it off your list. So what I say to my clients and to, you know, to the students that I'm advising, I want you to reach high. I want you to, to expand and stretch yourself beyond what you think you can do. And then to chase that rabbit, I want you to chunk it. I want you to break it down into smaller, doable chunks. 
Um, and then this accountability piece is where it really sort of ramps it up to the next level. So you have your goal, you have your action steps where you've broken it down into small doable, what I call small wins. And then you have some sort of accountability either with, uh, you know, with one or two people or just like our mastermind. I, I don't know if your audience knows, or maybe you, you've discussed this in other podcasts, but uh, Pete, you and I were a part of uh, a, a pretty, really, in my mind, a, a very successful uh, mastermind with, with professional speakers. And every month we had to sort of, uh, actually every week, we had to update each other on, you know, where, where we were with our, with our, uh, with our progress. Um, so yeah, so again, you're, you probably could have given the Ted talk. Yeah. So many people have all these different projects in different, uh, stages of completion. Um, and my argument is, okay, well, that may work for a short period of time, but at a certain point, you have to finish something. You know, you have to take it through. You got to take it to the goal, take it across the goal line, or else you're going to feel like your your year was not as successful as it could have been. Um, and a way to do that is to have just this hyper focus on getting something done, even if it's poorly done. At least it's done. So then you can either move on to the next thing, or now you can look at ways that you can improve. Exactly. And, and I, I want to come back here in a moment or two and, and talk about your professorship and your students. And, and, and just so everybody knows, he, he's a professor at, at, at Walsh, uh, which is in North Canton. Yeah. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. but, but I want to take a step back. And I want to go back to your TED Talk and how you started your TED Talk about, about the app. Yeah. That was, yeah. A, gr so that was a great story. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's it's one of my favorite stories. It's um, it's it's the story about Kevin Systrom, and some of your audience may have heard of. Well, probably won't recognize the name, but once you, once you hear what he's created, but he and his buddies created an app. It was one of the like premier apps at the time. It really was. You could um, give restaurant reviews, ratings. And if you gave enough badges and checked into enough places, you actually got discounts to those places. So it was like a money saver. It just was a really well designed app, especially for its time. And he named it bourbon, uh, <laughs> named after, after his, exactly. Yeah. After his favorite drink, nonetheless, it had nothing to do with the app, but he liked to drink. So you know, it was a party app, uh, get together with your friends app. But after uh, a few months, it basically went nowhere. There were only a couple hundred active users of the app. And he had raised over half a million dollars, you know, to take this app to market, which even at that point, 2010 was a lot of money, you know, for, for an unproven app. So he was going back to his investors. What should I do? Should we shut down the app? Um, but before they decided to effectively shut down the app, um, they took a closer look at um, what their users were actually using it for. Um, and I say this in the TED Talk, but they were effectively using the app to do two things. Take pictures of their cats <laughs> and take pictures of their food. <laughs> so, so if you think about it, in 2010, you know, this was way before the selfie revolution. So, you know, and I say seven years later, we as a society have not moved much <laughs> beyond this. So they went back to the drawing board. They took the app off the market, actually, which is sort of like the death knell 
for for apps. If you take it off, it basically means that you've given up on it. But they they stripped away all the other ancillary uh, you know things you could check in, you could give badges and stickers, you could. But they focused in on the pictures, and then specifically that you could add filters on your pictures, and then of course they renamed the app uh, Instagram. Oh, and then. Yeah, exactly. So day one, day one of relaunch of Instagram, um, they went uh, from day one, it was 25,000 downloads. And they thought, man, we're on to something. A year later, they were over a million downloads, 4 million or 40 million pictures. Then, of course, Facebook came calling. They got bought out for a billion dollars. I think it was $1.2 billion um, in cash and stock. And at that point, it was, you know, it was just unbelievable to go from almost bankrupt a few hundred users because they had all these cool bells and whistles. But then when they stripped it all away and they allowed their users to focus in on one thing, that's when it just took off. Wow. um, You know, and. The other thing that's crazy is, and you think $1 billion for something that just takes pictures. Well, analysts have valued Instagram at over $37 billion now. So Mark Zuckerberg obviously made a good investment choice, and it's, it's caused more users to download his, his apps. So um, no matter what people say, Facebook and Instagram at this point are still you know the 600-pound gorillas in the room, and um, it's, it, I don't see it going down anytime soon. Yeah, I, I don't either. And, and that's a pretty remarkable story about an app called Bourbon. Wow, I should maybe I should rename my business. Uh, never mind. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and because it had too many options out there, and, and and by stripping away a lot of those options and just I guess keeping it simple. Yeah, exactly. So there's a there's there's a theory called the the paradox of choice. So when you give users too many choices, they worry about making the wrong decision so they don't make one at all. So too many choices effectively leads to no choice. So that's what happened with with Instagram. But if, if you've got a goal in mind, mm-hmm. and I, you talk about this in your TED Talk, and you bring really your own personal experience in it, that you take these small steps, these series of small wins that lead to great results. Mm-hmm. So if you could tell my audience about your background, about these small wins that you took in order to get this great result yeah well um so again this is is straight from uh the book and also the ted talk but actually i I have somewhat of a storied background you were you introduced me as a you know auditor and banker which i was but actually up until from up until about 10th grade i was pretty much the model student i grew up in a uh you know traditional Korean house. And if you know anything about Korea, actually, I was going to say Koreans and Asians, but it's it's probably true of many uh, American immigrants that move over. Their parents are really, uh, they, they hold, they value and esteem education above all else. Mm-hmm. Um, and corporal punishment. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for I bringing the Greeks in. in. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a house where uh, education uh, was number one, and if it wasn't, then I was uh, highly encouraged to pursue education. So up until 10th grade, I was pretty much model student, got straight A's or um, it, the occasional B or B plus, but it, it wasn't really due to any uh, sort of 
I guess, hard work or diligence on my own, I basically just showed up. Um, and I, I was able to, to get those grades, but I ran into my junior year. I ran into a buzzsaw and I call her, uh, the buzzsaw, uh, and her name is Ms. Ryan. So Ms. Ryan was a, uh, was my AP physics teacher. And wow. I went to her, uh, yeah, at that point, like I said, I was, I was a good student, junior year, going to go to an Ivy league school, you know, got my SAT scores early, did pretty well. So I went into her class and I failed my first exam. <laughs> I thought, what in the world just happened? I never, uh, honestly, up until that point, I'd never failed an exam. She said, Phil, you are smart, but you're lazy. And it was just, it was one of those, like almost, you know, what is it? The hammer between the eyes sort of <laughs> moments. Nobody had ever told me that nobody ever accused me of it. I thought, don't you know the agreement that we have here? I show up and you give me an A. <laughs> so she said, no, I want you to show up. I want you to, you know, turn in your homework on time. I want you to pay attention in class. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give her game one more shot. So I go back the next day and, um, it was a pop quiz. And obviously, pop quiz, it's unannounced, failed that one too. And I thought it was at that point I bailed. And I first started just by skipping her class, Pete, but then it became so much easier to skip my other classes as well because I really wasn't getting you know anything out of it. Um, and then a few classes became a few weeks. It became over 75 days of school missed for that year. Yeah, from January through about May. So it was almost like... Every day, Monday through Friday, I would show it. I would come and check in with my homeroom because that's how they checked attendance. But then the rest of the day, I was, um, I don't know if, if your listeners are, if any of them are millennials, but I used to go to a thing called a mall. <laughs> where they would have stores, and um, I used to <laughs> I used to play at a thing called an arcade. I know those don't exist anymore, you know, where you have to put quarters into a machine. Yeah. And I would just waste my day away uh, just playing arcade games. That that was it. And it was you no, know, it wasn't like I was doing anything fun or cool. I just I I was hanging out with old people at the mall playing arcade games, and uh, missed like I said, missed over seventy five days of school. Um, ended up having to drop out of of high school because I couldn't pass that class. It was a small high school, and she was the only teacher teaching that class. Um, there was no way around it. And at that point, you know, while my friends were going up on stage to get their diplomas and you know, kind of doing their thing, um, it was the summer of 1995. I was just a mass of self pity, and um, my dad had basically said, you know you have two choices. You can either, <laughs> you can either find a way to, you know, to finish out your education and, and go to college. Cause that's, you know, that's what we came to this country for, or you could join the military. Those are your two choices. And, uh, I found out real quick that all college applications said the same thing, high school diploma or equivalency. So I was like, I need to find out what that means. So this was again pre Google. So I looked up in the yellow pages. What? Yeah, <laughs> I looked up in the yellow pages, found the testing center, went to a testing center. It was me and a bunch of like, like it was all adult learners, right? I mean, it was military folks, it was single moms. It was just, it was a very humbling 
experience for me. So I went from almost the height of arrogance, you know, I don't have to do anything to get an A in high school, to really just almost forcing my way to to get this uh, GED, general equivalency degree. Um, and like I said, I already got my uh, SAT scores. Thankfully, I had gotten that before this whole thing went down and I'd filled out an application. And even in my application, I explained, you know, how I made these mistakes, but I was looking to turn my life around that kind of thing. So they did provide some story, but it was one small step after another. So get the GED, um, make sure that the SAT scores, actually Ohio's ACT, but make sure that the standardized testing scores were still valid. I had to apply to schools, had to write applications, so it took some work, but I chunked it down into small steps. And if you were to look at me, especially at the end of my junior and senior year, you would think this kid's going nowhere. I mean, he's just a screw up. All he does is, you know, hang out at the mall and, you know, he's gained a lot of weight. And it was just a, it was a period of my life where I really, nothing I did was right. I could do no right. Um, but I sort of glommed on to this idea of just small wins after small wins. And it was really my dad that really sort of forced me into looking at life that way. So eventually got into one college, only one college accepted me. Um, and you know, from there it was, it was, it was a struggle even then, you know, I, I didn't get great grades, but I knew I had to, you know, sort of at least pass one class. So you kind of build up to it. Um, and then eventually, uh, got my first job, like I said, at a CPA consulting firm. Oh, and this is kind of funny. During my, um, my, uh, it was, I'd gotten the job, and this was right around Y2K. So really, uh, at the everybody was hiring. It was Y2K on Sarbanes Oxley. Yep. So for for those of your audience who aren't uh, either in the financial world or CPA world, this was like one of the biggest governmental regulations that that caused a hiring uh, spree. So in the year of 2000, I basically, this company was looking for somebody with a college degree and a pulse. So I had both, <laughs> barely. So <laughs> they hire me and I'm thinking, you know, I'm on top of the world now. You know, I'm working for a up and growing company. They had a hundred associates, had about 150 clients all throughout Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. I'm traveling around, you know, doing my audits, learning on, on the job. Well, two years later, they, they basically say two years uh, on the job, learning is what it takes to learn this job. Well, two years had passed. I'd done pretty well. I'd started getting offers from other banks, you know, to join their teams. And it was the year-end Christmas party. And um, my partner, the managing partner, he's a little bit drunk. And he says, Phil, I want to tell you something. Thinking, okay, great. You know, I'm thinking this is going to be some great big, you know, compliment. He said, "Do you know why I hired you?" I'm thinking, "No, I'd love to know why you hired me." And he says, "It's because you wore a belt." <laughs> I said, <laughs> "A belt? What?" Yeah, he said, "You were up against three other candidates, and none of them wore a belt." And at that point, <laughs> I realized what. 
you know, what in my life is not, it, it was just such an arbitrary moment. And I don't even know why I, I happened to wear a belt, but it really reminded, it kind of brought me down to, to earth, so to speak. It just humbled me. And I thought, you know, some of the things in life that happened to us are, are as arbitrary as that, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not due to any great talent that you have. Um, it might be, you might get the client cause you wore a, a blue colored tie that day. And it was very, it was, I guess my point is it was very humbling to me. And at that point I thought, I don't think I want to be in this industry where such arbitrary decisions are made off of what you wear. And to this day I wear a belt, you know, even to bed I'll wear a belt. That's, <laughs> that's like my thing. So I don't want to lose out on any clients. Are, are you wearing one right now? I am. Okay, indeed. good, good, yes. good, good, good. Oh my, that's, so, a, that's a great story. Yeah, I just thought, oh my gosh. Here I was thinking, you know, he was going to compliment me on how, you know, well I did in the past two years, you know, how I've grown this firm. He's like, nope, you wore a belt. So, I mean, to be fair, he, he was a good boss and he was a little bit drunk that day. But it was at that point, though, I thought, I think I need to move on to something a bit more meaningful. So that's what really got me started into, um, you know, looking at grad school. So two years into my career, um, I knew that I didn't want to be in banking and auditing uh, for, for the rest of my career. Now, to be fair, I lasted in that industry for about 10 years. So while I was working full time, you know, I would take these small steps. I would take a class here for grad school, or I would take a teaching assignment. Oh, this was crazy. Um, there is a school. So we were based out of Indiana, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that area, but it's about 50 miles east of Pittsburgh. Um, they call it Pennsylvania, but it's basically Western <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, um, so I was working for one of the client banks there, great organization, you know, one of the top 100 places to work, loved what I was doing. Um, but there was always sort of this gnawing feeling in, in the back of my throat, you know, that I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. You know what I mean? So it's, and I'm sure you know what that means because you, right. you're recovering, counting yourself. But for me, it was this idea that I wanted to make an impact on people's lives beyond just, you know, saving them money or keeping their accounts secure. But one of my mentors had said, Phil, you got to take, if you want to teach full time, first of all, you got to get your doctorate. But then secondly, you have to teach, like you have to take any classes that you can. So I was applying to all of these colleges, you know, within a 50 mile radius and all of them either, you know, turned me down or they had their, their gigs lined up already, or they had people until finally it was at one of those like networking sessions, but there was a, a buddy of mine who taught full time at Frostburg State University. It's a small uh, college in Frostburg, Maryland. And if you can draw a line from Indiana, PA to Frostburg, Maryland, first of all, you can't. There's no direct <laughs> line to it. You are driving through mountains. And so it took one way, Pete. It takes three hours to get there. And he said, I really need somebody to teach this Wednesday night class. Can you do it? I said, well, what time does it start? Six o'clock. I said, okay. So I checked with my boss and thankfully he was, you know, he was very flexible. He knew I was going back to grad school and he knew that the ultimate goal was 
teach. So he allowed me to flex some hours. So on Wednesdays, I would come in at like five in the morning and I would work through until about three and I would hightail it. I mean, I would just break land records, land speed <laughs> records to drive from Indiana, PA to Frostburg, Maryland, took three hours. I would teach that nice night class from six to 10. And then I would drive home and I would get home around 1am. And I did this for about six months. And even now to this day, my wife and I just laugh about this. Like, can you believe that I, you know, that I, that we, we got through that. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that really you need a series of small wins. And sometimes those small wins don't look really glamorous. And, um, you know, and lo and behold, after I got that job, that's when I got started getting calls from other schools saying, Hey, we see you have some teaching experience. Can you teach our class? So eventually I got some teaching experience to, uh, to some schools closer to Indiana. And then that's what made my resume that much stronger against other candidates. You know, whenever I went for my full-time teaching gig, they had seen that I, I had about, you know, three years of teaching adjunct courses at various different schools. So it was um, just another classic example of, of small wins leading to, leading to some remarkable results. And, and the end result, uh, first, I, I got to back up. So uh, for my audience, next time you're going to an interview, make sure you have a pulse and you're wearing a belt. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> At least those two things. Yeah, you, you're you're halfway there if you have those two yeah, things. Got, got so. Those two things. But so <laughs> you you you've I you know so you went from from a high school dropout. Yeah. To now, your your position at, at Walsh College is. I'm a, an associate professor of business. That's remarkable, and, and, and kudos to you for having that that drive to pick yourself up and, and, and figure things out and, and make that move. That, that is, that is one remarkable story. And, and how long have you been at Walsh now? So I am, I just started my, I want to say it was my seventh year in the, in the fall. So I'll be completing my seventh year by the time um, May, May rings, May comes around. Yeah, so I've been here almost eight years. It's crazy. So okay, I I did I, you know I was at Ohio Dominican for uh, I think I was there for about six or so years. Are are you tenured faculty? I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In fact, uh, that was that was one of the goals, obviously, um, to uh, to to obtain tenure, and that was um, that's kind of a neat story too, because it was um, it, for those who are in faculty or higher higher ed or familiar with it, you know, it, it can be this long drawn out process. And in fact, my predecessor, the reason why I got hired here was they recently had gotten rid of three or four faculty sort of as a clean slate within the, within the business school I and mean, the school of business here. Um, and that my year, 2010, they had hired, I want to say three or four faculty members and um, the the accountability group that I'm in, the mastermind group that I'm in here with faculty, three out of the five of us who were up for tenure last year, we all got it. So it was sort of, you know, it was a nice sort of uh, recognition or celebration of of the hard work that we'd, we'd put in. So yeah, I'd recently 
I want to say it takes is for here. It's a six year process. After your sixth year, they review your profile and you know your teaching evaluations, how much scholarship you've done, your service, um, and it's it's a really neat thing to be recognized by by your peers because it's it's a vote um, by the by the committee, but also there has to be sort of a majority vote by your by your peers. So that was that was what was most meaningful to me. And that's that's awesome. Congratulations on 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 tenure. Thank you. I'm I'm trying to remember what how Dominican was, but I've been away from it for so long. But I remember that <laughs> that that process. I you know I I don't have a a PhD, but I was full time because of the equivalency of a master's and a CPA. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. so I I could never get tenure, but you know I had some things that I needed to fulfill in order to maintain my contract. But the the, the story the, the story of you as a as a business professor as I and I know I you've mentioned this before is uh, we've known each other now going on uh, going on about a little almost about a year or, or so oh I thought it was more than that but go ahead <laughs> in fact were you at the um, were you at the the NSA uh, convention in Philadelphia. Yes, I was. Okay, so I'm I'm not here to embarrass you, but I think we actually met then, and it was one of those sort of. And I, the only reason why I remember it because I was listening to either one of your podcasts or talks before, and you were talking about being at the Laugh Lab. I thought, you know what? I think I actually remember that. It was it was a uh, yeah. So anyway, so sort of a. Uh, serendipitous happen happening, but, um, we didn't know each other, but I think we had actually met then. So it's, it's actually been a couple of years, but you're right. Actually knowing each other professionally and, and as colleagues and friends, yeah, a little over a year. So, Oh, there goes that brain. So that I, I got to go back and, and, but when you said laugh lab, I said, okay, <laughs> I can, I can probably take that and, and move forward. So we've known each other for a while. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the, one of the things I, I I remember maybe you were talking about this in our mastermind group uh, about the garage. If you could tell my audience about the garage. Oh my gosh. I love this. Thank you for asking. Um, So this was again, just a classic story, almost an entrepreneurial story actually. But so these four students on campus, they were, um, they wanted a place to meet, to collaborate and to to create. That's And they they really couldn't find any place on campus. I mean, they could meet in the cafeteria, but that was sort of this loud sort of, you know, you can't really do anything there. Library had limited hours and nobody really wanted to meet in one person's dorm room. So they're scouring the campus. They're asking around. Nobody's giving them any, you know, any positive (laughs) responses. Um, But they somehow find this empty storage space basically on campus. I honestly have no idea how they found it, but at one point it was a literal garage. So it's not uh, a part of the new buildings, but it was sort of like uh, across the street, but it was all owned by the university. So they're like, this is great. So they start asking questions. They meet with the faculty. They're saying, hey, have you heard of this? What are we using this space for? No clue. They end up meeting with um, the uh, the facilities department. Hey, what are we doing here? They kept on asking questions. And if you think about it, you know, these are students that have no money. They have no connections, no influence, really. They just have an idea. Yeah. Um, and eventually they met up with the the president of the university. His name is Rich Jusome. 
and he is an entrepreneur himself. He's built up, you know, multi-million dollar companies. He's, but he has a strong tie to to Walsh University in that he was he was actually. Uh, I don't know what the correct term is, but his life plan was to be a brother, a brother of Christian instruction. But eventually, you know, obviously found uh, uh, his wife. He wanted to get married, have kids. So he sort of took a different route, but they brought him back as the president. He's been here for about 10 years or 15 years. So which is actually in terms of tenure for a university president, that's that's really long. They usually last about five to six years on average. Exactly. But he was here. Yeah, you know that. So he was here. The students got a, an audience with him. He got it right away. He greenlighted the project. They raised, I want to say, $150,000 or something like that to renovate this space. And it, it went from a junk storage space to really sort of decked out with state-of-the-art technology. We have a 3D printer in there. And it's if you could see it, it's really cool. It actually looks like a really cool garage. Like it went from dirt floor to sort of this slab sort of concrete with whiteboard paint on the walls. Um, you know, and you could, uh, it's Wi-Fi decked out to in it, in every technology, um, that's relevant to them. It, it's, it's perfect for them. It's suited for them. And it's run by students and it's really designed by students. So they're the ones who book the speakers. They book, uh, you know, innovation challenges and hackathons. And in the past year, out of that garage, we've had, I want to say at least three to four student run businesses that have actually been born out of their, that garage. So it really went from nothing to down some sort of revenue generating thing, um, for the students and obviously a, a great sort of success story for the university. So I, the reason why I was brought in is I'm the faculty advisor. So I'm the one that makes sure that, you know, the place doesn't burn down, <laughs> make sure that kids have access when they need it. But it's open 24-7. That's the other thing. So they have access 24-7 because, um, as you know, Pete, you know, creativity and innovation doesn't happen between the hours of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 3 and 5 p.m., right? I mean, right. You, you need sort of this open, you know, collaborative space where students – and it's students from all majors. So you got – management majors, and we have a nursing student in there, somebody, a student who's in uh, physical therapy, wants to design a new running shoe. There's a museum studies person in there. I mean, it's it's a really cool place where there's a lot of energy um, and a lot of creativity and innovation happening. So that's on the student side. And then we also have community mentors that will, you know, agree to come in once a month to kind of give their opinion on a thing or give a short 10 minute, like Ted talk. And then there's sort of like a, almost a town hall meeting back and forth Q and a type type thing. So there are sort of these formal, either meetings or speakers or, or gatherings. And then outside of that, it's just sort of this free flowing, uh, students come in and out and they work on whatever project they want to work on. So, and they call it the garage because it's, um, they, they did their research and, you know, companies like, uh, Apple and Microsoft and Disney and Mattel and Cisco, they all started in garages. So their goal is to start, you know, the next bourbon or Instagram, if you will, <laughs> um, in, in that garage. So that's, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's one of the things that I'm most excited about here at Walsh, just that the students are, um, super motivated. The other thing is they don't get credit for this. This is not, this is on their own time. 
Um, there's no course associated with this. And that was by design. They didn't want to get a grade for, you know, attendance or things like that. They just wanted it to be their space where they could meet with other like-minded students and community mentors and start building stuff. So it's, it's a really, really cool thing that they have going on here. That is, that, that is way cool. Uh, and kudos, kudos to the students for, for the initiative of starting it. And, and, and what you just blew me away by, they don't want credit for it. They don't, yeah, they don't want yeah. college credit for it. They just want a place where they could collaborate and create and build. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm trying, I think in the TED talk, when you were kind of talking about this, was this where you used the term MVP? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the key tools or methodologies that they use is the MVP and they, they, they get it from, um, agile or rapid prototyping or agile programming. This idea of this minimum viable product. So what's your MVP? So these students will come in, you know, and they have, especially if they have, they're not familiar with it, with, with the garage process, but they'll come in and they have these great ideas. You know, we want to build something that can, uh, that can mow your lawn and that can cut your hair <laughs> and that can, that can do your laundry and file your taxes too. And it's all in a mobile app, right? And it's, you know, it's going to change the world. And, you know, we kind of laugh, but every student comes in that way because it's, it's the Instagram story all over again. You know, okay, that's great, but let's boil it down to what is the core essence of what you want to do or what business problem you want to solve or what pain you want to, what pain you want to provide a solution for. And we force the, the students or the student entrepreneurs to kind of scale back to what is the core essence? What is your MVP? So that's what I usually ask them to. And it, it takes a little bit for them to get it. They're like, no, I really want this to do this, this, and this, and this. It's like, okay, even if that's true, we want a working prototype so you can actually see how it works in the field, in, you know, in, in the wild, so to speak. And then if we were to pair you up with a community mentor, um, they're not going to have expertise in uh, culinary arts as well as haircutting, as well <laughs> as tattoo. As well, I mean, maybe they might. I don't know. But ultimately, we, we want you to have a laser-like focus because that's going to provide you with the best opportunity to have a working prototype to either take it to market, to test in the wild, or to get investors. So that sort of changes the narrative from, oh, I have all these great ideas. No, no, let's get to your MVP. What is your core thing that you need to get done before you move on to the next thing? I'm not limiting you. I'm forcing you to have what I believe I'm doing is I'm allowing you to achieve the most success that you can by chunking it down into sort of these sequential steps, right? So our brains don't really work in, in sequential steps. I understand that. So I want to respect that process because that's how creativity happens. But once we get down to actually producing a product or a service or improving your business or getting more clients, it really does take this almost laser-like focus to get a thing done, to prioritize a thing and to get that thing done and then move on to the next thing. You're going to feel a lot better about yourself when you do it that way. So I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to you describe this, so this is like a baby shark tank. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's get you focused. Let, let's get all of that that you need to really think about with, this business idea let's 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 polish it refine it and then we'll take it to the sharks 
the investors and see if we can get some investors. That's that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to 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 sum it up. Yeah, it's a baby shark tank or a pre shark tank, if you will. Yep. Yeah, we uh, so that's the MVP, and I think I know Jim Cantarucci talks about the lean canvas, sort of a, a one page business plan, if you will, and we we allow them to to utilize that as well. Um, so it really just it again it it forces the entrepreneur to look at their business from a macro level. But then it forces them to to do their business at a micro level, um, and I think that is sort of the, the the nice mix right there. So you look at it from a big big picture point of view, so it doesn't confuse you. You make the complex simple, but then when you really want to move forward, you you have to choose what small wins or small steps that you're going to take and then just kill those. Um, and just a series of small wins, one right after another, um, that, that's how you get success. Yeah. That's, and which takes me back. And I use this in some of my, my presentations on, and I know you're very familiar with this, when like adult learners come back and want to get into a master's program, and that first class, they're all so excited. They're gung-ho. I'm going to get my master's degree. And about halfway through it, you lose a lot of students. Because, geez, this is taking, 18 months is taking forever. <laughs> it's like, this is ridiculous. Because you get all this other stuff going on. And I would tell tell faculty, after that, when the class is done, when the final's over, go celebrate. Celebrate yeah. those small successes because if you celebrate those small successes, the likelihood that that student will make it to the end dramatically increases versus going, okay, we're done. You got, you know, two weeks off. You go into your next class. Woohoo. Um, I love it. Yeah, just, I love that. Just, Absolutely. It keeps that momentum going. It just, and if, and if you set those small goals and when you achieve it, you can celebrate. There's a little bit of excitement there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just like, yeah. Just like those, uh, the checklists, like we talked about earlier, you know, you get to check that off and there's, uh, we, I've had, um, so glad you said that. Cause I teach MBA classes as well. And there was uh, a student of mine, she had taken a 20 year break, wow. a 20 year break. And I'm not even saying 20 year break from undergrad to grad. It was graduate school. She took her first class 20 years ago. Then some, you know, life, life happens, you know, yeah. kids, Kids, kids get sick, kids, or, you know, your, your spouse moves away, what have you. So she had to take a break and had to, had to focus on raising her family. And 20 years later, she comes back, obviously none of those, none of those courses transferred over, but, um, but she was just pointing out that, you know, this was a goal of mine and I realized exactly what you said. So she had her sort of all of her classes charted out on this calendar. And she said, I can only do one class at a time one class a semester. So it's going to take me at least, you know, two and a half years to get through this, but now I'm on, you know, my fourth class and this is, um, and I see some progress. So there's, it's nice to chunk it down into small steps, but to your point, it's also really encouraging to kind of get a small step and, and look back and say, Hey, you know, I did, it. it's like being on day four of a diet, right? I mean, day one, <laughs> day one, everybody's excited. Day two, 90% of us have given up, but day four, it's like, okay, I got three days behind me. I, I think I can do this. Let's get to day five. So yeah, I think we definitely need to to celebrate the small wins. Um, and in fact, that's one of the, we were talking about Ted talks. I actually have, 
Um, another TED Talk, I don't know when you, you said this will be March, but um, so my first TED Talk was in December. My second TED Talk will be on February 18th, and it'll, it'll be on YouTube as well. Um, but the, the TED Talk there is entitled Reboot, Everyone Deserves a Second Chance. And that really speaks to this idea of um, resilience and how people bounce back from failure. Um, and one of the key uh, key characteristics of people who are able to do that is this idea of persistence, stick to itiveness, um, you know, having some grit. You know, in in light of failure, how do you respond? So what you said was perfect. You know, these these students that have taken a long time off. They need to take the small wins, but you, it really takes a lot of grit and determination to stick through while your other friends are, you know, out partying and, you know, having their fun. Uh, you're at home, you're studying. And it's, it's this idea of sort of delaying instant gratification for the long-term benefit. Um, and that's what often separates people who are able to, you know, bounce back from failure. Well, uh, I will let you know that I will put a link in the show notes to the TEDx Albany uh, YouTube, as well as this recent one that's coming up. You said this is at Kent State. Yeah. Okay. TEDx Kent State. Yeah. yeah. I will. Ha- I will have both links in the show notes, so you can go to it on my website under this podcast and be able to click it and watch it. Uh, I will say uh, to everybody in this audience, it's worth. The 17 minutes, and you said this next one coming up is going to be a little bit shorter? Yeah, about eight eight to nine minutes. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, his Not seeing the second talk, I'm just basing off the first talk on what I know. It's well worth the half an hour to watch both of them because, as you've heard <laughs> through this interview, there's a lot of great stuff. And, and, and to go back and relive it, you can relive this, through, obviously, through li- listening to this podcast over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and over right. some more, uh, or you right. can go out and, and and on YouTube and find Phil and or pick up. Where's your book being sold at? It's on Amazon. It's on yeah, Amazon. Thank okay. you. Yep. Yeah. Chase chase one rabbit. Chasing one rabbit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it's well worth taking the time, uh, Phil. Bef- before we wrap up, uh, I, I want you to tell the audience uh, at, at the end of your TED talk. Uh, the Korean lesson. Ah, yes. Thank you. So, uh, I, again, I don't want to paint the audience with a broad brush, but for those of you who aren't Korean, this may be your first Korean lesson. And uh, I'm going to force you to do it with me, Pete. I'm okay. going to ask you to repeat after me. Um, so the first phrase is, 시작이. 시작이. 반이다. 반이다. 시작이 반이다. Oh, beautiful. Oh, man. Yeah, better than me. Okay, <laughs> so basically that translates to shijagi, which means the start, and panida, which means half. So that literally translates to the start is half the task. So again, what I often say is I want you to think big. I want you to start small. But whatever you do, I want you to start. So many of us have these great ideas that basically we think in our heads and that's where it dies, or we even write it down and that's where it dies. But in order for us to, to move forward in our businesses and our lives, to get stuff done, to pick ourselves back up, 
We have to think big. We have to start small. But the start is half the task. So I want people to start whatever it is. What even if it's a bad idea, you won't know unless you start. So the start is half the task. And as I always say, bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas. No ideas lead to ah. absolutely nothing. I love it. I love it. That's that's straight out of improv. So Phil, thank you so very much for taking time. I, I this was a great conversation. You, you've dropped so many nuggets for this audience to act on, and uh, I look forward to a future conversation and a future venue. So thank you once again, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. I would like to thank Phil again for taking time out of his schedule to give us ideas on how we can chase only one wabbit at a time and gain greater focus. In episode 41, I interviewed John Kelly, who is the chief people officer at one of my favorite companies, White Castle Systems. Our discussion focuses on the topic of change management and how this has evolved over the history of this family-owned business. White Castle was founded on September 13, 1921, and they will be 100 years old in only four years. Thank you again for listening, and remember to use Yes And along with your focus to help achieve your goals on one rabbit at a time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.